All right. Well, are we going to have some fun or what? This is the second book of Nephi. Oh, this is week six, second Nephi one through two. And, uh, you know, uh, to, to cut down some, so we have some time for other stuff. In chapter one, Lehi sees that Jerusalem is destroyed. He scolds his son for their misbehavior. He rehearses what God has done for them so far and declares that this land will be reserved for those that God chooses to bring. So that takes us down to verse 13, uh, where he says, Oh, that you would awake, awake from a deep sleep, yea, even from the sleep of hell, and shake off the awful chains by which you are bound, which are the chains which bind the children of men, that they are carried away captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. Now, uh, the the chains is is a fascinating thing, and um, um, Jeff Lindsay, I think it was, that had done a, a study on oh the the roots and meanings and connections of this. But I think um, it's simple enough to say in the Enoch tradition, it's chains uh, that the that the fallen angels are held in chains, and this shows up in the New Testament. So the chains of hell are an, an old, old motif. Um, verse 14, Awake and arise from the dust, and hear the words of a trembling parent whose limbs you must soon lay down in the cold and silent grave from whence no traveler can return. A few more days and I go the way of all the earth. First of all, don't worry about, um, you know, uh, I go the way of all the earth uh, from whence no traveler can return. He's not quoting scripture, or not quoting Shakespeare. Uh, phrases like this go back deep into time, okay? So silly people will call attention to this and say, oh, Lehi quotes Shakespeare. You know, forget it. Um, and if you want examples, we can do that. What I want to pay attention here is arise from the dust. Whoa, wait, wait, this is temple language. <clears throat> arise from the dust and shake off the chains. This is endowment. This is exaltation. Um well, that does that in verse 15. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I'm encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Now, can you doubt? This is temple language. Um, what happened to the old king? Well, the, I mean, the, the, not the old king, the, the current king. We think that every year he had to go through an endowment-type ceremony where the king, okay, the king of Israel, <laughs> is Ritually abused, uh, whether they, whether this was mock, you know, ceremonial, or whether he was actually, you know, beaten up, uh, stripped down to naked, which was a loincloth, probably, uh, hopefully, <laughs> um, put in chains and dragged around. Um, ceremonially, the king has to descend below all things. He has to be a captive, which is the lowest you can be. I mean, a captive is lower than a slave, right? A slave is somebody's property and they're not going to be killed. But a captive, you know, he's an inch away from death. Um, so he's dragged around in these chains. And so what has to happen for him to ceremonially be reinstated for another year as the king? Well, he has to be washed, for one thing. He has to be anointed. So he smells good. And um, and ha can have his hair organized and things like that, you know, kind of important. Washed, anointed. He has to be clothed back in suitable robes for the king. Oh, he has to have the, the chains taken off him, of course. Right? Um, 
and anointed uh, also is to heal him from the wounds that um, that he sustained in this mock or perhaps actual um, abuse of, of this ritual. And then he can, uh, we don't know exactly how this worked in Israel, but in other Near Eastern cultures, he was introduced to um, the symbol of the God or the, the likeness of the God, taking its hand. And then given the symbols of, uh, of his rulership, and then could be seated on the throne. So this is this is the the endowment, um, uh, you know, as it was practiced by, for the kings, right? They were actually exalted to that throne, right? Okay. So what do we have here? Lehi telling his son. Oh, oh, and of course, let's not miss this. Let's not miss this. Jesus is the king. He's the Lord Jehovah before this life. He descends to the lowest. He descends to be like us. And, um, you know, low and miserable. And, and, and then he's step-by-step step raised and, and ends up exalted to heaven, lifted up to heaven to sit on, uh, on the Father's throne. Right? So, so all of this is, um, is uh, in uh, anticipation of, in prophecy of, uh, of Jesus Christ. Okay, so now what does Lehi tell his sons? He says, arise from the dust, shake off these chains. Right? Um. And, then, and what does he promise them? Encircled, to be encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. What do we do? What do we do in the temple? You know, um, in, in the past, we do it, we do it in, uh, you know, symbolically now, but in the past, you were divested of your, of your clothes, except for a modesty, you know, a shield, so that you could be washed and anointed and so forth like that. Um, clothed in, uh, First the garment the, of, the, of the simple priest, and then the uh, then the garments of the high priest, the uh, and so forth, and uh, uh, and then what, how, as we pass through the veil, we receive and embrace. This is this is clearly what Lehi is talking about: being encircled about in the arms of his love. We we are embraced as we enter the presence of God. Right? That's the idea. Well, ritually we do that. And, and is supposed to teach us what what kinds of things to expect. Not that these exact ceremonies are going to happen. They're not. The, any more than, uh, you know, that we get wet necessarily as we die. Baptism is, you know, is symbolic of death. But it's not a reproduction of death, right? It's not the way death is going to work for all of us, hopefully. And we're not going to drown, but, you know, who knows. And um, the same thing with the endowment. It's not, it's not a, we're not going to replay this. But it's like that. Symbolically, it's like this. Right? Okay. So this is what Lehi has got in mind. Um, now, uh, you know, did, did ancient Israel know the endowment? Yeah, of course they did. I mean, it's right there. It's right there in the scriptures. The question is, do, do we know the endowment well enough? Well, we don't. Not well enough. Okay. Um, verse 16, then. And I desire that you should remember to observe the statutes and the judgments of the Lord. Behold, this hath been the anxiety of my soul from the beginning. My heart hath been weighed down with sorrow from time to time. For I feared lest for the hardness of your hearts, the Lord your God should come out in the fullness of his wrath upon you. And you be cut off and destroyed forever. Or that a cursing should come upon you for the space of many generations. And so forth like that. And we, I think we're familiar um, with... Uh, this plays out so strongly in the Book of Mormon that we're really practiced at seeing this pattern, right? 
But but then there's this famous this famous line, verse 20, and he has said that inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land. But inasmuch as you will not keep my commandments, you shall be cut off from my presence. It, it's going to be important to recognize what cut off from my presence means. Have we hinted at this before? I think we have. Um, you know, ritually, the presence of the Lord is in the temple, right? And and I think that ritually is the way that he's talking about it. Um, and it's not just you're not just they're not going to have the proper performances. They no, without the right teaching without the priesthood authority to keep these things on track, then you really aren't just cut off from the ordinances. Um, the, the system of uh, belief and the system of commandments degrades very rapidly, amazingly rapidly, right? So if they're cut off from the Lord's presence, they're cut off from the oracle, from the prophet, from the legitimate um, way of worship, then this is this is a terrible, terrible curse. Does that make sense? So, so he's saying, if you if, if you won't keep the commandments, then you won't. You'll lose. You'll fall into apostasy. You'll be cut off from my presence in that in that way. And of course, it's not that God ceases to love. See, God never ceases to love anyone. God's actual presence is, you know, all around us. We. To, to judge by uh, section eighty eight and eighty four and ninety three, we swim in it, right? Um, but um, uh, but but cut off from the ordinances, and that's what I think he's alluding to here. Verse twenty one. And now that my soul might have joy in you, and that my heart might leave this world with gladness because of you, that I might not be brought down with grief and sorrow to the grave. Arise from the dust, my sons, and be men. Now we, that much we saw before. This is important. And be determined in one mind. And in one heart, united in all things, that ye may not come down into captivity. We saw this before in Nephi's record when he says that we must with one accord be led into a land of promise. What does this mean? With one accord means all in agreement. We are of one heart, one accord. Um, in Spanish, what do you say? De acuerdo. I'm agreed. We're all, we're, we're all in this together, right? Um, and this is what Lehi wants. He wants his sons to unite and stay united. He knows he's leaving. And I'm sure he's pretty sure that um, that he's the only glue that, that's keeping these uh, these this fa- these factions uh, together. He wants them to be unified. Well, he doesn't get his wish. Poor Lehi. I, I feel sorry for Lehi. Um, he doesn't get it. And I think he probably kind of knows it, but he still has to say this. 22. That you may not be cursed with a sore cursing, also, that you may not dis- incur the displeasure of a just God upon you, and the, the destruction, yea, the eternal destruction of both soul and body. See, he's more, way more con- concerned about their souls than their bodies. 23. Awake, my sons, put on the armor of righteousness, shake off the chains with which you are bound, and come forth out of obscurity, and arise from the dust. This is the third time he's saying this now. Can they get it? <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and, and there is a little bit of irony that he's using this kingship, uh, this enthronement, endowment, exaltation kind of language. Um, but, but I think we'll see, as we come out in his um, uh, in his blessings, I think I think he's tempering this whole Nephi Nephi is the leader part. He's trying to make this work. <laughs> that, that Nephi is going to be the leader. He gets that, but he wants his sons to think they have a stake in the leadership too. And maybe they really could have. I don't know. But but so he's employing he's employing this this enthronement ritual 
stuff, shake off the chains, come out of the dust, you know, get washed, get on, get clothed, sit on the seat, right? <laughs> and then he has to say this, 24, rebel no more against your brother, whose views have been glorious, and who hath kept the commandments from the time that we left Jerusalem, and who hath been an instrument in the hands of God in bringing us forth into the land of promise. For were it not for him, we must have perished with hunger in the wilderness. Nevertheless, ye sought to take his life, take away his life, and he has suffered much sorrow because of you. So he's 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 not he's not denying the role of Nephi, uh, the the ways that that the Lord said that he was going to be a, a a leader and a ruler. Um, because he because he was righteous and he did do these things. So I, it would be neat to know what exactly Lehi had in mind, if he had a way in his mind to work this out so that we'll see this as we get to his blessing to them. Um, again, I think maybe the best way of saying it is that he hoped that they would feel like they had a stake in the leadership of uh, of the group and not just um, rupture the, the unity of the group. 25. And I exceedingly fear and tremble because of you, lest he shall suffer again. For behold, ye have accused him that he has sought power and authority over you, but I know that he hath not sought for power and authority over you, but he hath sought the glory of God and your own eternal welfare. And ye have murmured because he hath been plain unto you. Ye say that he hath used sharpness. Ye say that he hath been angry with you. But behold, his sharpness was the sharpness of the power of the word of God, which was in him. And that which ye call anger was the truth, according to that which is in God, which he could not restrain, manifesting boldly concerning your iniquities. And it must need this is 27. And it must needs be that the power of God must be with him, even unto his commanding you that you must obey. But behold, it was not he, but it was the Spirit of the Lord which was in him, which opened his mouth to utterance that he could not shut it. And I think this is more that same kind of theme. He's in, in his own way, he's deflecting, he's deflecting some of what must have been so galling to Laman and Lemuel. He's saying, Well, yeah, he had to do this. God made him do this. You know, don't don't be so offended. <laughs> All right. Verse 28. And now my son Laman, and also Lemuel and Sam, and also my sons who are the sons of Ishmael, behold, if ye will hearken unto the voice of Nephi, ye shall not perish. And if ye will hearken unto him, I leave unto you a blessing, yea, even my first blessing. Okay, the first blessing is for what? It's for the it's for the one that uh, rules, right? Um, so in a way, he's saying, okay, you have. It's this contradictory blessing, right? You, if you'll hearken to what he says, then you're the rulers. <laughs> now that doesn't make much sense to us. Now I'd love to see what Lehi really had in mind. If there was some cogent way that he could have could have explained this, but to us, it kind of looks like yeah. You know, I don't. I can see why they didn't uh, didn't like that offer, right? And there's a beautiful uh, there's a beautiful wordplay going on here. If you will hearken, this this is why I emphasize that. If you will hearken, um, who's it, who's it to? Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and also my sons are the sons of Ishmael. The name Ishmael, may El, may God hear him or hearken, may God hearken or El, God has hearkened, right? Um, it's it's from this Hebrew word Shema, right? To hearken or hear. Ishmael, right? So um, Sarai, Abram's wife, um, bare him no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in into my maid, that it may, and it may be that I obtain children by her. 
And Abram hearkened, Yashima, right? This is Ishmael, Yashima, to the voice of, of Sarai. Who, who's it going to be? It's going to be Ishmael, right? Abram hearkened to the voice of his wife. Okay, fine. We'll do this. Uh, the angel of the Lord came to her. Behold, thou art with child. Thou shalt bear a son and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard or hearkened Shema, Shema Yahweh, thy affliction. Do you see this? So the, the Bible uses all this wordplay of, you know, hearken, right? And so does the Book of Mormon. And as for Ishmael, Ishmael, I have heard Shematika. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful and so forth like this, right? So all down through. Um, the uh, Even all the way down to the Ishmaelites, you know, coming through the neighborhood and the, and the brothers, uh, Joseph's brothers have uh, thrown him in a pit and say, oh, here's these Ishmaelites. Let's, um, let's sell him to them. That way we don't, we don't have to kill him, right? Right? Uh, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers were content. Well, the, the King James hides this. His brothers hearkened. Wayishemu, right? Wayishemu, I should say. His, his, his brothers hearkened. His brothers Ishmael, because these were Ishmaelites, right? <laughs> so, um, well, uh, th- that I suppose is enough to say that, again, we see the Book of Mormon echoing these biblical name meanings. And boy, the Book of Mormon does so much teaching this way. We just can't miss this. Um, not, not when we have it available. 29. But if you will not hearken to him, I take away my first blessing, yea, even my blessing, and it shall rest on him. And as I say, this, this is a... To, to, to name it a name, you know, this has got to be a terrible blessing because either way, Nephi wins, right? Uh, if they if they obey, they can have the first blessing, but then he's to them he's in charge. Uh, if they disobey, you know, they don't get the first blessing. So, oh, and this, this is a um, this is a beautiful chiasm. Um, so, a, I leave unto you a blessing. B, yea, even my first blessing. C, but if you will not hearken unto him, B prime, I take away my first blessing, A prime, yea, even my blessing. It's just a neat little, cute little chiasm that uh, that reminds us how, that, I just love discovering these things because we get a little glimpse into what um, what what Lehi was thinking. Lehi would have been the one that composed this. Verse 30, And now, Zoram, I speak unto you. Behold, thou art the servant of Laban. Nevertheless, thou hast been brought out of the land of Jerusalem, and I know thou art a true friend out of my son Nephi forever. We, we should clarify servant here, too, because servant, um, Ebed, is, is going to be, well, it could be a slave, but th- there's no way, there's no way that um, that Zoram is not an, an Israelite, and if he's an Israelite, he, he should not have been a slave. They would not have had... So they could have debt servants and things like that. That's clearly not what Zoram is. Um, Zoram would be more like the chief steward, right? A man of huge responsibility uh, in that scribal school, as I see it, and as uh, as Noel Reynolds uh, portrays it. Um, so servant in the sense of a steward, um, probably extremely well educated. I mean, do you, if you were a debt servant, theoretically, you could be in, in debt for seven years. Now, there was times when the, when the Israelites broke that, the Jews broke that rule. 
They got in big trouble for it. One of the reasons why, um, why the Babylonians, you know, took over. <laughs> so it, it's possible. Um, but theoretically, you can only the max you could be um, a debt servant is for six years. In that kind of time, you could never become the uh, uh, the one that holds the keys to the treasury. This is obviously a, an important fellow. Well, let's see, verse 31. Wherefore, because thou hast been faithful, thy seed shall be blessed with his seed, that they dwell in prosperity long upon the face of this land, and nothing, save it shall be iniquity among them, shall harm or disturb their prosperity upon the face of this land forever. Now, um, Zoram, uh, again, the Book of Mormon teaches us a lot, communicates a lot of information, it thinks, (laughs) to us by names, just because Hebrew does, right? And, and so the most likely etymology, the most likely meaning of this name, actually is, um, you know, he, and that is God, uh, has poured out, poured forth in floods, something along these lines. He has poured forth in floods. And it's a lot to communicate in the Zoram, but, um, but there's, there's a good reason why Matthew Bowen um, think, thinks this is the case. Now, with so many things, um, there's, a, there's an actual origin for the name, um, but, but there's, um, then there's kind of a folk etymology and that maybe is not a great way to say it, but, but the sound of the name means something else. And then they'll play on both of those, right? Uh, this is the classic one, uh, for, for English speaking, especially American, uh, churches to be the sunrise church. And they'll have, you know, uh, either a picture of Jesus coming up out of the tomb or more likely a sun rising, up over some hills, and uh, it, it'll be you know uh, spelled with an S O N R I S E, right? Playing on these names, they, they don't come from the same thing at all. They don't come from the same word. Son, uh, you know, the, the the male child versus the son, the the uh, golden ball of fire in the sky. They don't come from the same word roots, but they they sound the same. So you use them that way. Well, this is what happens with Zoram. So Zoram is something like he, he, God, is poured forth in floods. But 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 uh, Hebrew speakers are going to hear um, hear Ram. They're going to hear lifted up, right? R- Ram is used in a lot of names like Abram and Abiram, Yoram, Yehoram, um, Malkiram. Um, you know, uh, Hiram is one, right? So so uh, this or that thing lifted up. Well, Zoram would be. The one who is high or lifted up, right? The one who's exalted, right? Um, and and a lot of times these were, would be reflective of God. You wouldn't have to say God in the name for it to mean God is exalted. God is the exalted one, right? So these, these could have um, these could be theophoric names, as they're called. They refer to God. Well, um, this is going to come out later, you know. Uh, Zoram isn't particularly lifted up. He's not the ruler of the group, uh, and he's a servant. Doesn't mean he couldn't have a name like that. Of course he could, right? Later on, as his at least uh, name sense descendant, they may not be his genetic descendants, but um, th- this is going to come. This is going to come up with them, and the Nephites are going to use this name kind of against them, right? Well, the Zoramites come up with this Ramiumptum, right? Uh, we don't know what eumptum means, but we know ram is lifted up. Well, what is the ram eumptum? Well, it's high above the head. We know that much, right? So it's got to be, uh, got to be part of this. And so that now, when Alma saw this, his heart was grieved, yea, and 
he saw also that their hearts were lifted up unto great pride, great boasting in their pride. So, so Mormon, no doubt based on whatever Alma wrote, is riffing on this Ram thing from Zoram, right? That's lifted up, only it's lifted up false in pride. And then what does Alma immediately do? He sees that they're lifted up into great boasting in their pride, and he lifted up his voice to heaven and cried and so forth like that, right? So so we can see that they're doing this. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to have uh, a Hebrew version of this text to pour over and have fun with? To Shiblon, he says, Alma says, I say unto my son that I've had great joy in thee already because of thy faithfulness and thy diligence and thy patience and thy long-suffering among the people of the Zoramites. Okay? And immediately what's his promise? If you stand firm, you'll be lifted up at the last date. Coriantony says, see that you're not lifted up unto pride. Yea, see that you do not boast in your own wisdom nor your much strength. Do not pray as the Zoramites do. You see, they're riffing on this theme of, uh, of Ram lifted up. Had enough? Verse 32. Wherefore, if ye shall keep the commandments of the Lord, the Lord, shall, the Lord hath consecrated this land for the security of thy seed with the seed of my son. Chapter 2 will do in half a second here.